Utility Room. Designing the future of energy. Welcome to the first edition of the Wales and West Utilities podcast, The Utility Room. I'm Rhys Emmett and today, in the first episode of what we hope will be a regular series, I'm joined by Energy Strategy Director Chris Clark and Future of Energy Project Manager Oliver Lancaster. Hello both. Hi. Hi. Over the next 40 or so minutes, we'll be talking all things Future of Energy. Now, the Future of Energy has been a hot topic for a while. How we as a country, the United Kingdom, how we're going to reduce our carbon emissions. And of course, important for all of us at Wales and West Utilities and in the gas industry in general, is what role does gas and gas networks play in that future? Now, Oliver Lancaster and Chris Clark both play key roles in our future of energy work. Chris, you've been Energy Strategy Director with us for over a year now. Yeah, I suppose my background is actually a chartered engineer and and fellow of the Energy Institute. Um, And over the last 30 years or so, I've been working in the energy industry. Um, I'm now responsible for looking at our energy strategy um, and particularly looking at our long-term approach to asset management uh, and getting sort of best value of money for investment, really. And Ollie, previously at Wales & West, you worked on cleaning up things from the the past, dealing with the inheritance of the gas industry, is that right? Yeah, it's been quite a transition for me working on the uh, the old contaminated sites from uh, from from the, the history of the energy industry, but now transitioning to helping the energy system to transition to uh, what it needs to be for the future. So it's it's quite exciting. Now, before we head to the future, I guess we probably should start with today. Um, why are we even having this debate? I mean, today energy is pretty safe. It's very reliable. I think both gas networks and electricity networks are more reliable today than they've ever been. And while there's often political debate about it, in general, um, our energy compared to other places in Europe and other places in the world is is pretty affordable. So why is there a need to change? Well, this is all about the uh, climate change. And, and uh, I don't think there are many people who now s- uh, disagree that the fact that our climate is changing and that that is man-made. Uh, and a lot of that is due to carbon emissions. Um, and therefore, we as a company take our responsibilities really seriously. Uh, and therefore, it's uh, incumbent on all of us to um, set that right. And as a fossil fuel transporter, uh, we need to be uh, changing our energy system and supporting that so we can decarbonise uh, energy uh, across the UK. And of course, finally, uh, the government have uh, mandated it. Um, so uh, whilst we've been... Uh, uh, putting our effort into this probably for four or five years, uh, the government, uh, as recently as June, have now decided to uh, make it law that we uh, go to net zero by 2050. So, net zero, we've heard a lot of that recently, like you say, since the government uh, committed to that and made that law. What exactly does net zero mean? Well, I suppose it's really about, for us on an energy side, it's about net Uh, zero carbon emissions, so making sure that our energy system doesn't uh, emit carbon dioxide to the atmosphere. But also it's far wider than that because it's all about what we do as homeowners uh, and as uh, members of the public. Uh, So it goes beyond just the energy system but also goes into things like transport uh, and into agriculture as well. And so we've made good progress so far as a country, particularly on power, uh, where now renewable energy accounts around about 50% uh, of the electricity that's generated. But we haven't been doing so well on things like heat and transport. 
So heat, of course, has got a direct impact on people. Um, we feel very strongly uh, about it, uh, and we all know uh, how contentious uh, it is in the home. If we're not feeling very warm in our home, uh, our families know all about it. Um, so, uh, but of course, for us as gas transporter, uh, we know that about 80% of homes in the UK do have gas central heating. Uh, and of course, the methane that we currently transport uh, is carbon intensive, uh, particularly when it's burnt uh, in, in the traditional gas boiler. And even those have become much more efficient over time, uh, it's still a, a major cause of greenhouse gas emissions uh, in the UK. Things are changing though, so uh, in the future, uh, the uh, new home standard that the government is introducing um, uh, will be looking to remove fossil fuels from uh, brand new built homes uh, and replace it with something else. Uh, and therefore, we have been working on some of those solutions. Um, but of course, the future has to be balanced. Um, we do need a reliable uh, energy system. It has to be secure because when people need that energy, uh, it, it's got to be there. And we saw back in the summer, uh, in August, when there was a, a major power cut across the country, uh, how much inconvenience that caused just for 15 minutes power cut. Um, so I'm sure we'll talk about that later on uh, and what we can do to prevent that happening in future. But until uh, pretty recently, Ali, didn't the government have quite a clear view on, on what the f their future uh, energy policy was? Uh, yeah, it, w it was pretty clear. Um, and it, it headed in the direction of turning off the gas network. Um, so a big focus on uh, electrification, uh, and that's with increasing renewables and giving everyone electric heaters. Um, but under scrutiny, uh, that solution has shown to be very expensive. Um, and also disruptive. And as our research uh, shows, that would lead to blackouts or, or even perhaps could be described as energy wipeouts because it's not just the lights that would turn off, it's everything else as well, the other electrical demands and uh, transport, heat and, and industry. So y you mentioned research there, Ali. That's what we call uh, the energy pathfinder, isn't it? I mean, Chris, you do a lot of work with the energy pathfinder uh, modelling programme. So I just wonder if you could talk a bit about where that's come from, what it does and how we're using it. Yeah, this all started down in Cornwall actually, where the uh, idea of having uh, Cornwall being uh, fueled purely by renewable um, power, principally wind and, and solar, um, was initially thought out and a very ambitious project uh, was put in place to, to try and work out if that could be done. Uh, and, and the local folk down there actually found that um, they did have sufficient solar and wind resources to power Cornwall for the whole year. Uh, but what they hadn't been able to do uh, is understand what that meant between the different seasons. So we all know we get lots of renewable electricity uh, during the summer months, um, but come the winter when we have the uh, uh, very short daylight hours um, uh, and in periods of, of low wind, um, then uh, they didn't really uh, have the ability to understand uh, whether that was going to work or not and what sort of storage they might need. Um, they proposed having batteries to, to cover that gap. So as part of that, we developed a modelling tool in conjunction with them, uh, which we now call Pathfinder, which is really all about balancing uh, the demands for energy, uh, power, heat uh, and transport, uh, and then working out uh, whether that matched up uh, with the supply of, of uh, electricity in, in this instance uh, and, and work out then uh, if it didn't match what sort of storage was required. 
Um, that model uh, took quite a long time to build. It was the first of its kind. We were the first gas or electricity network uh, to try modelling uh, on such a grand scale. Um, uh, and what it found uh, initially for Cornwall uh, is the results were that this electrification route uh, wasn't probably going to be realistic. Um, and it came from two reasons. One, if you uh, try and meet the demand in winter, uh, just through wind and solar, uh, you needed absolutely huge amounts of overcapacity, uh, which then during the rest of the year uh, would actually be providing too much and, and therefore was going to be quite expensive. The alternative, of course, was to use storage, uh, and, and the idea from, from the folk in Cornwall was to use batteries. Uh, but the amount of battery storage that was needed was so vast uh, that the cost for Cornish consumers uh, were going to multiply many fold. So whilst the original idea that this should be a cheap solution because uh, the sun shines and the wind blows for nothing, uh, actually the cost of the system to provide that uh, was, was just uh, not realistic. So it looks like then, based on uh, the Pathfinder work, based on the projects you mentioned in Cornwall then, that pure electrification is a no-go either for affordability or reliability reasons? Uh, for the vast majority of us, that's, I definitely agree with that. There may be some instances, of course, where um, where, where if you're doing an overhaul of, uh, of, a, of a home, you might choose to have a ground source heat pump system, and, and that's a choice because of the work you're doing on the home. But uh, for the most of us, then, then no. And, um, aside from the, the huge is issues associated with having a reliable source of electricity generation, the storage, um, uh, and, and the, the issues of trying to distribute all that power to the demand, um, there's a significant amount of disruption in the home and in local communities to, to fit these homes with electric heating systems. Um, and Pathfinder, as Chris explains, just helped us to, to be pointed in the right direction. Uh, rule th certain things in and certain things out, and so now we're, we're clear on uh, on what we think the future should look like. So, what is our vision for the future then, Chris? Well, I, I think the, the future is actually quite complex, uh, and there isn't a silver bullet here. There's no one solution that will provide all the answers. Uh, but one of the key elements that we think will provide uh, one of those answers is all around biogas. Um, now, biogas is made from uh, things like uh, food waste uh, and uh, agricultural waste. Um, and uh, through a process called anaerobic digestion um, uh, can create uh, green methane, effectively carbon neutral methane, uh, which we then can have injected into the grid. Uh, and we've actually already connected enough biogas to heat around about 120,000 homes, particularly in the southwest of England. Um, and we've got a lot more in the, in the pipeline. Um, and this future uh, green gas, it's a sort of synthetic natural gas, we very important because it does the same job as the current natural gas does. No conversion required to boilers, uh, no changes to what consumers have to do. Um, and things like biomethane uh, and uh, in the future synthetic uh, methane created from things like black bin waste um, can actually be then maximised by the use of something called hybrid technology. Uh, hybrids. Now, working at Wales and West Utilities, I've heard a lot of conversations about hybrids, smart hybrids, the Freedom Project. I understand, Ollie, you're a resident hybrid expert. Um, so, tell me, what's a hybrid? Um, a hybrid heating system is essentially your existing gas boiler that you have uh, in your home. Um, 
and it just has a form of electrical heating uh, plumbed into it. So uh, th what was explored in the Freedom Project that you referred to uh, was an air source heat pump working with a gas boiler, but it's important that these hybrid systems are smart controlled. Um, and, and that means that they can uh, optimize for the, for the benefit of the customer to be warm and comfortable um, and to optimize on cost for them but also optimise for the for the energy system so that it's the cheapest possible all-round solution. So if you put in an electric source uh, heat, heat pump into somebody's home, why not go the whole hog? Why only go halfway? Why not remove the gas boiler altogether? Um, well, for a start, uh, with the Freedom Project, we had small air source heat pumps, but to go full air source heat pump, then you'd have to have something about twice the size. But you'd also have to uh, change over the radiators, all the pipework in the home, uh, add a significant amount of um, uh, insulation measures and perhaps even underfloor heating. So by the sound of things then, hybridisation, if you like, doesn't mean that much disruption for customers. What would, I always think of my mum when I think of an average energy consumer, what would uh, my mum's experience be if uh, the family home was hybridised? Um, there would be the, uh, the addition of an air source heat pump um, and very little uh, would need to go on inside the home. So uh, an external unit typically that looks like an air conditioning unit um, and, then, uh, and then it's just simply plumbed into the existing system. So it is very limited in its disruption and, and Chris said before about enough biogas connected to our network to, to be able to feed 120,000 homes. Um, if these smart hybrid systems were installed then it maximises that biogas and can actually feed 600,000 homes. So we're Wales and West Utilities, we look after the gas pipes. Uh, since I've worked here, when I started working here, everybody made very clear we look after the pipes where our responsibility finishes at the metre. So the hybrid uh, heat pump is the other side of the metre. What's our involvement with hybrids? Why are we, why are we working on smart hybrid systems? Well, it needed to be uh, a solution developed that was uh, that was suitable for, for the whole energy system, for gas and electricity. And um, we did a proof of concept project with Western Power Distribution, the local uh, distribution network operator in our in our region, to work together to, to, to identify the advantages that the system can offer. Of course, for the electricity distribution network, uh, it's important to understand what the impact of these kind of systems are on on their capacity and, and can these things operate without uh, without having to do a great deal of um, uh, uh, intervention in their network and reinforcement. I think it's really important as well, Rhys, uh, to add to that, uh, is both Western Power Distribution and Wales West Utilities were both very focused on consumers uh, and making sure we offer them the right service and, and quality of service. Uh, but also actually we're thinking about the consumers in the very long term uh, and this hybrid technology is clear and evident uh, the lowest cost pathway uh, for consumers uh, to decarbonise their home uh, and therefore it, it's, it's part of our moral obligation almost to make sure that we work with people like uh, Western Power Distribution uh, to come up with solutions uh, and add our part and our backing uh, to these really good uh, new emerging decarbonisation techniques. So hybrids, smart hybrid systems, uh, you've got your uh, air source heat pump, a small one, you've got your gas boiler, uh, they're working together, they're controlled by an app or by, by phone, um, by landline uh, if you like. Uh, very little disruption 
for them to be retrofitted to your home. Is that everybody getting a hybrid and everybody's home being powered by uh, biogas? Uh, no, not necessarily, Risa. One of the uh, parts of this is there is not enough biogas to go around. Uh, we've known that for a long time. Um, so whilst hybrid technology will make it go the furthest it can, um, particularly the, the very large demands, both from industry and some of our major cities, there would simply not be enough biogas. And of course, we want it for other things as well, such as transport. So we do want our trucks and buses running uh, on biogas uh, to clean up our cities uh, uh, and decarbonise transport as well. So one of the other areas we're looking at uh, very strongly in collaboration with the other gas networks uh, is looking at hydrogen uh, and how we can convert uh, the major cities and industry in our region uh, to pure hydrogen. Um, hydrogen, of course, also works with hybrids, so hybrids are, are not just something for biogas, um, but we see uh, a major focus now uh, on moving towards uh, hydrogen. And it's something our partners, Northern Gas Networks, uh, uh, with ourselves in a project called H21, uh, I've done a lot of work to explore the feasibility of hydrogen and that project showed it was feasible to uh, convert the gas grid uh, from natural gas now to hydrogen in the future. Now the benefit of hydrogen is a zero carbon gas uh, so it can be made either through electrolysis or reformation of methane uh, with carbon capture and storage uh, which allows the cities uh, and uh, uh, industry to decarbonise in the most uh, or the least disruptive way uh, and also at the lowest cost and in some cases could be the only way of making sure that industry stays uh, within our country uh, and doesn't just end up being moved uh, somewhere else uh, where we lose all the economic benefits of our, of our industry. So Chris you talked about converting cities I think to hydrogen is the gas network in those cities ready for that? Well, interestingly, the work we've been doing to upgrade our network over about 30 years now um, has means that the plastic pipes that we've been installing um, since the uh, very early uh, 1980s are actually hydrogen ready. Um, so uh, in the timescales that we're talking about uh, in the late 2020s and into the 2030s, um, the majority of our gas network will be made of plastic pipes, uh, which is hydrogen ready. Um, so uh, that replacement program that we've been undertaking uh, has had a great insight uh, in, into the future uh, and is actually future-proof the gas network uh, and, and making it ready for decarbonisation uh, of all different ways. Um, of course, the uh, conversion of a network is not a new thing. Uh, back in the 1960s and, and uh, Unfortunately, I'm old enough to remember it. Um, uh, this, uh, the, uh, the town's gas system was converted to natural gas, um, which uh, uh, ironically was, was town's gas was 50% hydrogen at the time. Um, so we have had uh, experience of this before. We know we can do it. Um, we're very good at managing major projects that in some cases can be disruptive to the public, uh, but organising it in, in a very efficient way. Um, so we're very confident that we could do a conversion to hydrogen uh, in those areas where it's required. So the replacement programme, which I guess is how most uh, people listening will where they'll recognise us from, where they'll see uh, barriers, uh, the holes we've dug in the road, our vans, our vehicles, that was originally started to make the gas network in the UK safer. But if I hear what you're saying right, it's now also preparing the gas network for the future. 
Yes, it, it's both uh, providing the new pipes that will be required to carry hydrogen, uh, but also uh, understanding how we can work with members of the public. Uh, when we do go into a street, you're quite right, it is disruptive. We have our barriers everywhere. It has to be extremely closely coordinated uh, with the consumers in the street. Uh, and actually, we're very successful at, at doing that. Uh, and we, and we do, uh, we do uh, engage with around about 40,000 customers a year uh, on this basis. Uh, uh, interrupting their supply, um, doing the work we need to, putting the new plastic pipes in, working on their properties, working in their property, and then making sure they're back on gas by the end of the day. So we've got that track record of doing it. And then when we're actually asked about what they think of our customer service and how well we we've done it uh, we get a score of 9 out of 10 so that's not bad for someone coming into a street uh, making a bit of a mess uh, uh, unfortunately do you have to dig all those holes but at the end of it people are very satisfied uh, with the work we've done so that I think shows that track record uh, is available that we could do the hydrogen conversion without cause of concern for the public so that should stand us in good stead really the experience we've got from just over halfway through that 30-year program now aren't we so that experience and whether we're converting to hydrogen or any other changes we need to make uh, to the gas network to enable green gas, other green gases, if you like. So before we move on, we've been talking a lot about putting plastic pipes in the ground. And of course, there's been a, a national, international debate on plastic and how we should stop using single-use plastics. But what makes plastic pretty difficult to deal with as rubbish, isn't that what makes it great as gas pipes? It, it certainly is. So uh, plastic is, is a miracle material, really, for, for ourselves. Uh, it, it's got a very long lifetime, which, of course, we know is a disadvantage in some cases. But to bury a gas pipe uh, with the thought that uh, it'll stay there forever, uh, uh, transporting gas, uh, whatever that is, whether it be a biogas or, or hydrogen uh, in the future, it, it's got a great uh, advantage. Uh, and we also realise, of course, that the plastic pipe is made of uh, things like fossil fuels. Uh, but we are very, very careful uh, with minimising its use uh, and also done the calculations to make sure that the investment of carbon in the gas uh, in the gas plastic pipes uh, is actually repaid within about six months uh, in reduced emissions. Yeah, and the, the plastic pipes um, aren't single-use plastics, they go in the ground and they get used every single day for the whole asset life and, um, and at the end of their life if they get replaced in the future then uh, just like we are doing today they get sent for recycling so and we say they last 80 years. Do you think they maybe might last a bit longer than that? Absolutely. Uh, when I uh, first joined the industry, um, then we thought the plastic pipes uh, would last uh, 30 to 40 years. Uh, but actually, the indications are they will last much, much longer than ever they were anticipated to. So 80 years is a minimum, uh, I'd imagine. I think they'll last a, a lot longer than that um, uh, in, the in the future. So we've just recruited 15 apprentices. They've got long careers ahead of them in the gas industry but the chances are that they'll still be working on plastic pipes as well. Yeah, there's a lot of work to be done over the coming decades. Uh, this doesn't finish any time in the near future. Uh, so apprentices joining the company have got actually a very bright future. But those skills will change over time, of course. Um, so they may well start off at the moment repairing gas escapes. Um, but in the future, those gas escapes won't be happening. But they will be converting customers to hydrogen. Um, so we've spoken a bit about... Uh, what it means for customers uh, the hydrogen turnover will be a bit more involved but sounds like we've got the experience and the capability to make it as pain-free as possible and Ollie you spoke about uh, you spoke about how easy if you like it was to retrofit 
the hybrid system, so the air so the small air source heat pump and the smart controls inside. So it looks as if both hybrid and hydrogen are technical technologically possible. So you know, a lot of the work we do, Wales and West, focuses on the customer and what the customer's experience of the future of energy would be. But what does hybrids with uh, green gases like uh, biogas, synthetic, uh, natural gas, and then hydrogen, what, is, what do those together mean for our carbon targets and for the desire to reach net zero? Well, at the customer level, then, then it is easy to retrofit, as I've said before, um, and it's simplest in the regions where, for the long term, they'll receive a biogas supply, um, and uh, where there's the regions and areas uh, that would have a hydrogen supply. Uh, for the customers there, yeah, it's still pretty simple, um, only a limited disruption uh, and, and a changeover of, of appliances to take pure hydrogen, recognising that actually hydrogen-ready boilers uh, are now in development, so it would make that process much simpler in the home. And when Chris spoke about the changeover to natural gas, that process of making natural gas-ready boilers, that was followed then, is that right? It was pretty similar to that then, but there were uh, more appliances in the home that use gas than we have today, so it's uh, it wouldn't be as disruptive as it was then. Um, and then when it comes to uh, the customers and their bills, um, then with biogas and hybrids and hydrogen, um, then the Pathfinder modelling shows that bills would remain broadly the same as they are today. And then when it comes to achieving net zero, uh, Pathfinder also shows us that this mosaic approach of using those um, gases and technologies uh, helps us to, to achieve net zero by 2050. Chris, at the start we spoke about net zero and how it's important that we look at heat, power and transport in the round. So how's the gas network uh, helping there? Well, well, this is what it's all called a whole systems approach. So, so put it simply, it's understanding where the gas network in future uh, can provide a role, and not just in providing heat as it does at the moment, uh, but going outside its, uh, its traditional comfort zone, uh, providing that peak heat in the winter, heating all our homes, providing heat for industry, uh, but, but moving into uh, a wider area. And, and for example, uh, in the first instance, um, since the 1990s, but perhaps more recently, uh, even to, into the last five years, um, the gas networks have been providing a, a much increasing role in electricity generation. Uh, um, particularly in the last decade, uh, the number of flexible generation plants connected to our gas network has increased dramatically. Uh, and of course, uh, this is really a response to the renewable generation being connected to the system. So we see, uh, and many people will be aware, that, that coal plants have been closing down uh, and, and uh, now add very little to the uh, energy system because it's high carbon. Um, that's been replaced uh, in the majority by renewable generation. Um, particularly wind power, um, but of course the wind doesn't blow all the time uh, and in the winter when there's no solar uh, it, it does mean uh, that flexible generation is required to, to step in uh, and that is now being connected to the gas network and particularly uh, to the local gas network uh, and we're seeing that on a day-to-day -day basis where uh, gas generation uh, connected to our network is being used to balance the system uh, and keep the lights on. Um, and of course, uh, we've got an increasing role in transport. Uh, over the recent years, uh, we've been seeing a relatively small number uh, of uh, compressed methane vehicles 
uh, being connected to the grid uh, with methane filling stations um, popping up in places like Plymouth and Bristol and Swindon, uh, which are now powering buses and trucks uh, in our region. Uh, and that is another area where we see um, potential for very large growth, particularly as cities like Bath uh, introduce clean air zones, which potentially ban diesel buses from the city centre. They've either got to go down a route uh, of electrified buses, which are perfectly feasible as well, um, or gas buses. But the gas buses have the value of a longer range, a very much quicker fill time, uh, and actually quite a lot cheaper to buy in, in the first place. And what's the benefit for having a gas bus? Does it improve air quality or...? Air quality is improved greatly. So the key issues with air quality are both particulates and nitrogen uh, oxides, um, and a gas bus emits virtually none of uh, those two um, uh, uh, particular uh, pollutants. Uh, and of course, if it's being powered by biomethane, as quite a number of them are, um, uh, biogases, um, then actually there's zero carbon as well. Um, so you've decarbonised transport in one foul swoop without the high cost of um, uh, electrification of, of buses and all the charging infrastructure that would go with it. And I know as well that in other forms of public transport, like the railways, there's some work being done on gas-powered uh, trains as well. Is that right, Ollie? Uh, yes, there are. Um, there's a, obviously a great deal of electrification of the rail infrastructure that's been happening and and, uh, and is still proposed in parts. Um, but also those areas that are out of reach of, of, of that kind of infrastructure, um, improvements or upgrades. Uh, there's uh, work going on on mainland Europe that's coming over here to, to look at uh, hydrogen trains as well. And of course, with just Wales and West Utilities having 35,000 kilometres of gas pipes, I'm sure if the electric overhead wires on the railways don't get there, the gas network probably does. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a great coverage. In fact, uh, the history of the, the gas industry uh, overlays quite well with the, uh, the development of the railways. So yeah, uh, there's, there's a good overlay there. And there's interesting synergies here, both in the home, I think, and uh, on the wider network of electricity and gas coming together. So Ollie, you spoke about the hybrid um, solution where you've got the gas boiler and the uh, electric powered uh, air air source heat pump. Uh, Chris, you spoke about the uh, flexible gas fire power stations, the peakers, if you like, that are supporting uh, renewable energy when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. So it seems as if both the gas and electricity networks are getting much closer together. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something we uh, have been recognising for probably three or four years uh, that, that needs to be much closer cooperation. Uh, and in fact, we've started that off uh, and we've been uh, approaching uh, our, our colleagues, um, uh, people like uh, Scottish Southern Energy Networks, Western Power Distribution and, and Scottish Power Energy Networks, uh, to look at how we can cooperate far more. Uh, and in fact, we've been actually starting to design uh, the networks of the future in collaboration with our partners uh, on the distribution network operators on the electricity side. Uh, and in future, we know that our control rooms uh, will be working much closer together uh, as well. So all this is really exciting. I think it's really ex interesting, exciting times for the gas industry, for the energy industry as a whole. Um, but what we're we doing, you know, in practice as a business, you spoke about hybrid, you spoke about hydrogen. What we're we doing in practice to deliver this, to make this happen? Well, the obvious one for us to keep doing is to maintain the gas pipe upgrade program. Um, it's not only uh, keeping the gas flowing safely today to meet everyone's demands, um, but it's future-proofing the gas network for these different gases in the future. Um, 
yep, because these new plastic pipes are hydrogen and biogas ready. Uh, we're already halfway through it, um, so it just needs to keep on going. And, and of course, uh, as well as the pipes, it's still uh, keeping connecting these biogas sites onto the network that are making a big dent into the, uh, the, the carbon intensity of the gas. And it's important that we continue to research uh, and inform ourselves of what needs to happen in the future and share that with others and work with others on it. Um, and one example of that is the High High project that we are uh, about to start, which is looking at the introduction of hydrogen into a city that's already established with hybrid installations. Yeah, I'd agree with that, uh, Ollie, as well. Uh, I think the future of energy research needs to have the consumers at its heart. Uh, that's been our principle right from the beginning of this. Uh, and we've got a number of uh, exciting projects coming up um, that will start to uh, continue that work, actually, uh, working with the consumers, but also working with a much wider range of stakeholders uh, now that, that, that we have in the past. Um, so people like Energy Systems Catapult and the Department of Energy, the Committee on Climate Change, Welsh Government uh, are all people we're now working with um, uh, and actually people are recognising our expertise and coming to us to say can you help us uh, with our local energy solution uh, and work up things like local area energy plans uh, that would actually be the optimum uh, for consumers uh, and, and the local residents uh, keeping the cost down and the disruption at, at its lowest. So taking all that into account then, uh, it looks like uh, reports of the death of the gas network are a bit premature. Uh, I'd agree with that. Um, so the gas network definitely has a future. Um, it'll be operating in a different way and we'll be working in a different way as to uh, the way it happens today, um, such as will be uh, more valued, I expect, on the storage capacity and flexibility that we have uh, as a network in a whole energy system. Um, but yeah, fundamentally uh, will continue to play uh, a major role in delivering energy that's affordable, reliable and, uh, and low carbon or net zero. So looking at the next uh, 10 years, Chris, you said you could remember the conversion from uh, town's gas to natural gas. Partly as an engineer, I guess partly as a, just somebody who lives in the UK, what are you most excited about in terms of the energy transition? I think there's a couple of elements really. Uh, I mean, when I first started uh, uh, my job uh, as an engineer down in Plymouth in the early 1980s, my first job uh, was uh, starting to replace uh, old iron mains with plastic pipes, um, and that program is due to finish um, by uh, the early 2030s. So, so actually in the span of my career, we will have gone from a predominantly iron system uh, with all the safety and environmental issues with that to a completely plastic network. So I think that's a sort of triumph uh, of, for myself and my colleagues uh, that we've managed to sustain that program and deliver it uh, underneath the radar, really. I think uh, from the exciting part of it then, when it comes to decarbonisation, that opportunity uh, to decarbonise heat, and much quicker than 2050, uh, I think we can bring that uh, uh, deadline far, far, far forward. Um, our own ambition is to uh, deliver a network that's ready uh, for net zero by 2035, so we can deliver it 15 years early uh, and with the cooperation of other partners, both in the supply um, uh, side of things with, with green gas and, and uh, renewable electricity in the winter, uh, along with the right skills and investment uh, in the home, we can actually deliver net zero heat uh, net zero carbon heat by 2035, that is a really uh, exciting and fundamental change from the thinking of just two or three years ago.
And I guess there's an opportunity there as well as we transition from the current energy system to one that is greener um, to think about how we support the most vulnerable in society. Well, I think, of course, by keeping costs down, that's exactly how we can do that, by providing alternatives, which are lower-cost pathways, that immediately provides better protection for vulnerable people. Now, there are lots of different mechanisms how you even provide them with further support on that, but our job is actually to keep the costs down in the first place. So, Ollie, I guess the same question to you. You've built a career in the energy industry. What are you most looking forward to? Um, well... Looking back, one of the first things I did uh, when I joined Wales and West Utilities was visit a gas holder site where the gas holder was due for demolition. Um, but uh, a lot's happened since then and looking forward, well, I think my retirement age is going to be hitting somewhere around about 2050. And so I'd like to uh, uh, get to the point much earlier than that if possible, uh, not to retire, but to achieve net zero earlier than that. Um, and to have uh, looked back on a career that's uh, made a big difference to to the climate change uh, situation we find ourselves in now. Well, thanks both. I think that's a good place to bring things to a close. The first episode of the Wales and West Utilities podcast, The Utility Room. There's obviously lots of really exciting, interesting things going on in the gas industry. And I think what's, what's really clear is the gas, the gas and gas networks Uh, While they may look very different in the future, they've got a central part to play in delivering a future energy system that's affordable, reliable and green. I'm sure we'll be exploring lots more of those things in future editions. Uh, In the meantime, if you want to find out more about the work we do on the future of energy, you can follow these two gentlemen on Twitter. You can follow Oliver Lancaster at at GasWorksOllie and Chris Clark at at ChrisClarkWWU and that's Clark with an E. So thank you for listening everybody. Goodbye. The Utility Room, designing the future of energy.